0: Hello, and welcome to Tillennial Horrors, the Naughties Horror podcast that knows that there's something in the cupboard and that there's something under the bed. I'm Jonathan, and my co host here is Sarah. Hello. This episode, we've been revisiting the spooky Bump in the Night movies of the Naughties as they evolved from boogeymen lurking in bedroom wardrobes to a, tris- a twist on the haunted house tale. So we're going from CGI specters and practical things that we don't really see very much to full on red faced demons, demons with fire on their face. With cloven hooves and forked tongues and full on James One, here is this demon, we're gonna show it to you right in your face. (laughs) Yeah. So, yeah, we thought we'd start with a kind of a bit of a recap of a couple of early noughties horror movies that we're not gonna go into in too much detail, Um, mostly because they're not very well kind of regarded and they don't hold up very well apart from like a pure curiosity standpoint, but they're kind of relevant here if we're talking about. Oh, there's actually something in Little Timmy's bedroom wardrobe, and it's gonna go jump out and grab you.
1: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like that's very, very delicately put. Like they're not very well regarded. Uh, yeah, because they're they're really not very good. Um.
0: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> One of them, they is I think, out of print on DVD, and if you look for it, it will cost you a lot of money, uh, at least in the UK. <laughs> um, but yeah, so there's Wes Craven presents there they and Darkness Falls, which are both, I think, They's 2002, Darkness Falls is 2003. And they're interesting mainly because they basically start with the exact same scene. Uh, The scene is that there's a child in bed, and Darkness Falls has a little bit more prologue to this, but not much. And the child is scared because there's something obviously supernatural in the room with him, and the parent comes in, in. and he says that there's nothing to worry about. And this also happens in Boogeyman 2005, which we're going to talk to, talk about in a bit more detail. And it turns out that there is something in the bedroom and that's the start of the scene. The Boogeyman comes out and grabs them. Um, it's a good scene and it works, I think, pretty well in They, Darkness Falls and Boogeyman.
1: <laughs> but it is the same scene. It, it is, is also, the same scene. Like, isn't it every kind of short horror film on YouTube?
0: Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> And I think it is the Stephen King short story, The Boogeyman, as well, which Rob Savage's The Boogeyman is based on.
1: Oh, God, I didn't know that. Okay.
0: Um, but yeah, the idea that there is, in fact, something that you should be afraid of in your childhood bedroom. And in They, it turns out that it's these kind of... these In, in Day and Darkness Falls, I think they're interesting because they're the same idea but with slightly different plots. In They, they're sort of CGI screechy things that aren't really explained very much. And in Darkness Falls, it is a full-on, it's a woman who was burned as a witch and has come back to claim the kids, and she's a tooth fairy.
1: I was going to say, is that the tooth fairy one? I've never seen Darkness Falls, even though I kept wanting to, because isn't uh, Emma Caulfield Anya from Buffy, isn't it? right? She
0: is, yeah, yeah. Emma Caulfield from Buffy is in it. And they has Mark Blucas from Buffy. That's
1: very true. Yeah, God.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I think you can basically look at them as they is the uh, Canadian shot one. And Darkness Falls is the one that's in Australia. So they has a lot of Canadian actors. And Darkness Falls has a lot of Australian actors.
1: <gasps> I mean, how can I find I couldn't find it anywhere. It wasn't streaming. I'll have to, like, <laughs> root down the back of a CEX or something to find Darkness Falls. Yeah. Um, yeah, I rewatched they and it's it's not good. No, <laughs> it's really not. It's it sort of started off, and I saw Mark Lucas and <laughs> uh, what's her name? Girl from Dead Silence. Laura Reagan. Yeah, so there's Mark Lucas, there's Laura Reagan, there's um, Jonathan Cherry from House of the Dead. <laughs> we love you, Jonathan Cherry. Very, <laughs> very brief jonathan cherry yeah yeah final destination to is jonathan cherry i mean he might as well not be in it
0: <laughs> he is like,
1: so briefly in it
0: he's like flatmate number two or three isn't he literally
1: like... it's like mark Lucas has two roommates and he's one of them <laughs> <laughs> like he might as well not, it could just be the other guy and that would be no different yeah. uh There's one scene where Laura Reagan's character gets in a car accident because she thinks she sees something in the road that's like a monster and swerves and doesn't hit it and doesn't hurt herself and then gets home and finds that her boyfriend and his roommates have been drinking beer (laughs) and she's just really angry. and She's like, I was in an accident. And it's like, okay, but they they didn't know that. We didn't know that. (laughs) And Mark Lucas is just like... um, So, what happened? Oh, I thought I hit something. He's like, did you hit something? No. Are you hurt? No. Okay, what's the problem? I was like, yeah, he's got a point.
0: (laughs) Yeah, and he's been working like an ER shift or something. So, they're just having a few beers.
1: (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) It's the weirdest, most irrational scene. But yeah, um, it ultimately turns into one of those movies where they're like, Mental illness is just demons, which is my least favourite trope of all time. So, yeah, yeah, that is bad.
0: I think I've got a weird soft spot for it because it is so naughties. Yeah. Um, there's one of those, like, um, uh, like warehouse, like, loft conversion <laughs> things with one of those elevators with uh, the big wooden door that you pull down that Ethan Embry gets, gets got in. Um, <laughs> and I love those elevators. But yeah, it's directed by Robert Harmon, who did The Hitcher. Yeah. Um, and it's got Wes Craven presents in it, although apparently he had absolutely nothing to do with it and just thought um he'd put his name on it to <laughs> to help, I guess. Um to help slash they probably gave him some money. Probably gave him some money, yeah. <laughs> um uh, but apparently it was I was reading up about it and it was originally the 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 guy's as the writer, said it bears very little resemblance to his original script, which was about um I think it was something like alien cyborgs uh, disappearing <laughs> people to use uh-huh. their bodies for spare parts.
1: Oh wow. That's not the same movie, that's very weird.
0: Yeah, he was like the Night Terrors thing was never anywhere near my script. Um oh. and like it's like the character names I think are the same, but like it's <laughs> like... That's
1: completely wild. That's like just not his script at all. Um No. The only thing that I quite liked about this film in a that's quite spooky way is that they um one of the ways that you can tell that the creatures are coming is that children can see them, so like babies mm. start crying. And I was like, wow. Like babies cry all the time, but to make that like something sinister, that's quite that's quite fun.
0: Yeah, that is cool. And I think like in with Darkness Falls they use the um they're scared of the light a lot more. Yeah. Um so there's some quite Fun sequences where the lights start flickering, and I think it's got a much higher body count than they does. Um, but it is also just a bit shit. Yeah, it's got a lighthouse, and we love a lighthouse, and Emma Caulfield is in it, and it's got very cool end credits. That's basically <laughs> the, um...
1: <laughs> that's a recommendation.
0: Yeah, you can find Actually, them on YouTube. That's
1: weird, isn't it? How this these films feel like the most generic form of horror movie. Like we're still kind of still making them with things like Lights Out. It's the, it's the same thing. It's just like oh, there's a monster in the dark, and it's a metaphor for depression, slash grief, slash mental illness of whatever flavor you like.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And then they, they I think they feel generic even now. Mm. Uh, even now, they kind of I think with with they and darkness falls, like with the part apart from some cultural references and stuff, you could repackage them and there'd be very forgettable movies that came out. Now, it's not, like, the same as some of these horror movies we're looking at that, you're like, oh, man, like, horror movies used to have a budget and locations. <laughs> like, these are obviously made on the cheap somewhere. Yeah. And the ideas are pretty similar to a lot of the kind of generic stuff that we're yeah. still seeing now.
1: We really still are seeing this, especially on
0: YouTube. Especially on YouTube, yeah. People have things that uh, can't come in the light.
1: <laughs> yeah i guess it's because it's quite easy because then you just hide your monster in the dark
0: yeah i think darkness Falls at least has like a monster in it and like uh she's got like a, a porcelain mask oh okay that's, that's hiding hiding the the monster underneath that's kind of fun but again like it's it's a very small like oh yeah like that's that's quite nice <laughs> You've
1: got to search for that thing yeah like, what is the thing that makes this film unique and it's a very it's, it's a mask okay Fair
0: enough. Mm-hmm,
1: mm-hmm. Mm. okay okay should we move on to our main features
0: yeah so the we've got so we've got three films we're going to be talking about and the first one is boogeyman which was released in 2005 um it's a ghost house production so it's sam raimi's production company and it's written by Eric Kripke as well as Juliet Snowden and Stars White. And Eric Kripke, if you are a supernatural fan, you'll know as the guy who created that show. And now he's also the guy behind the Boys, um, the superhero show on Amazon.
1: Oh wow, he's moved up in the world then.
0: He really has. Yeah, yeah. This is does seem like a a place that he started from, <laughs> and, then, <laughs> and then kind of improved. But yeah, the, the basic plot, we kind of described the opening scene already, which is, yeah, uh, little Tim is in his, in his bedroom and he's scared of the boogeyman and his dad comes in to reassure him that everything's all right. Like, I'll check in the wardrobe, there's nothing in here. And then immediately gets yanked by uh, <laughs> the boogeyman that's obviously in there, which is a fun scene yeah. and understandably scars Tim for life. And when we meet him as an adult, he's spent his whole life trying to put all that behind him. And he's distanced himself from his his mum and his family. But when his mum dies, he has to return to his childhood home to to face some demons. Um, And he finds out that there's literal demons. As is so often the way.
1: So often the way. Yeah. Uh yeah, I mean, the, so you you um say about Eric Kripke, but the other two writers, Juliet Snowden and Styles White, they've gone on to do stuff as well. Uh, notably Ouija, notably, notably, ah, if the, the you're Ouija me, guys. yeah. <laughs> so, uh, sort of generic spook fest. So they're their kind of thing. Um, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I remember seeing this one at the cinema, and I always lump it in in my head with hide and seek, which were two films that came out like yeah q1 2005 and both <laughs> of them have a stupid twist where like s- someone's an imaginary friend or someone's dead um hmm. and i remember just being so fucking angry about that at the time <laughs>
0: <laughs> sorry i've just remembered hide and seek's twist um, <laughs>
1: Sorry, I didn't mean to put hide and seek in your head.
0: (laughs) That's right; it's a naughty film, so I'm sure we'll get to it at some point. No, we won't.
1: We'll never. (laughs) We will never get to that film.
0: (laughs) If you want to see Robert De Niro changing personalities into (gasps) a childhood demon, yeah, no, (laughs) I'm I'm thinking (laughs) (laughs) Convincingly. Yeah, I I didn't see Boogeyman when it came out. I remember the reviews though, and the reviews were scathing. It was kind of. I think it, obviously 2005, like all the splat pack stuff had started, and it felt like this was very much not the kind of horror that people were asking for, or like the horror yeah. fans were asking for. Like it was like a PG thirteen, generic, yeah, just jump scares. I, I didn't see it until I think like 2013, 2014. I think mainly because the reviews were so crap.
1: I, I'm, I'm amazed that you like actually bothered. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I think it was on, it must have been on Netflix or something. I just oh, thought, oh, yeah. I've never seen that. Maybe it's good. Um, and it wasn't. And rewatching it again for this, I, I think I had the same sort of optimism of, oh, maybe it'll be better than I remember. And it's not, it's just kind of nothing, isn't it, really?
1: Yeah, it's, it, it really, it just sort of evaporates before your eyes. Like, I want to find something good about it, but like, <laughs> I don't know what. Um I guess like I I like the camera work. I like the camera work. It's very kinetic. It does a lot of like swooping around like a mm. drunken bat and I love that.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's there's a lot of good. Uh, we know that we're basically only in this house, so we better do something interesting. But yeah, at the same time it is just incredibly generic and it does really feel like there were three writers who chopped it up and moved stuff around. So we don't really know... We're not really given any reason to care about Tim apart from the fact that he his dad got murdered in a cupboard by a boogeyman as a kid.
1: It Yeah, and it, it, again, it does do that thing of, like, trauma is the real monster. So... Yeah. Basically, yeah, we introduced Tim as an adult and he's got a kind of horrible controlling girlfriend mm-hmm. and is still going back to see his childhood psychiatrist, which I found extremely weird. <laughs> like yes. the, the psychiatrist yeah. even comments on it. Like he goes to the children's psychiatric facility and she's like, Tim, you've been coming here for like 20 years. Look around you. Everyone else is a child. <laughs> like, yeah, mate, get an adult psychiatrist. Get some trauma
0: counselling, yeah.
1: Yeah, very weird. And the other yeah, thing about the different writers, it almost feels like they were switching out mid-scene with no idea what anyone else had written. Because mm. there's just some really weird bits that stuck out to me. Like, for example, there's a bit where uh, after Tim has gone to the, his childhood home, he gets his girlfriend to come like get him and they go to a motel and she's trying to kind of like relax him and be a bit sexy and they're like oh let's run a bubble bath and have a nice time uh and he goes to pour some drinks for them to have in their sexy bubble bath and he makes red bull and vodka <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like that's not the correct drink tim it's not the correct drink
0: <laughs> so are you pre-lashing tim you <laughs> know
1: I guess, I don't know. I, 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 There's no explanation for that. There's just lots of scenes that don't go anywhere. Like, yeah, when we're first introduced to Tim and his girlfriend as adults, like, there's a bit where he is at a work party for a colleague who's leaving and he hugs her and his girlfriend's like, that's enough. Um, that doesn't play into anything ever again. And then he goes to his childhood home, even though that's clearly a bad idea. And it's one of those houses that, In my head, like, America is just full of these because it's all we ever see in horror movies where it's just, like, Mm. a slightly tumble-down, rambling, massive house, but in the middle of nowhere. Um, (laughs) And then there's, just like, millions of uh, ghost kids. There's a scene quite early on where he sees loads of ghost kids. And then we just sort of carry on. And then another girl shows up and he's like, well, this is definitely a real human girl. (laughs) (laughs) And then, yeah, like you were saying about the backstory, like out of nowhere they're just like oh uh and there's another house and there's a crazy doctor and he's a murderer Mm. Um, uh, okay Mm -hmm, okay mm -hmm. so i couldn't tell if we were supposed to interpret that as like that's the real story of what's happening or like there's a there's a you know your generic crazy room of crazy where there's all the newspaper clippings of all the missing children um (laughs) Like, why? It's always children that the boogeyman has taken, so that implies something. But then why does his dad get got?
0: I don't know. I don't know. Mm.
1: I don't know if any of this film makes any sense.
0: It doesn't really at all. And I think it's (laughs) one of those frustrating things where, because it's quite boring, your attention wanders while you're watching it. So then when there is something like that where things don't make sense or it's suddenly, oh, yeah, like that. Yeah, like I said with the doctor or something. Like did I miss something important yeah. and you didn't? It's just that it's badly badly headed. It's <laughs> just badly
1: constructed. Oh yeah, cuz there's the there's the whole thing with um uh his like childhood sweetheart or childhood friend as well where yeah, that goes he nowhere. reconnects with her. That goes nowhere.
0: It's um Emily Deschanel from Bones. It's like he's too good for this. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
1: there's a lovely like mid 2000s bit of like homophobia in there where she he says she says like have you got a girlfriend and he says yes how about you and she's like a girlfriend me <laughs> like
0: yeah yeah like,
1: you're right that that's not possible <laughs> like ridiculous <laughs> uh, I
0: don't know what it is.
1: just very dated and very bad and I don't think apart from maybe people like you who might have stumbled on it on Netflix in like 2013 or something I don't think anyone's thought about this film since 2005.
0: Yeah I don't think so either I think it's interesting purely from it's kind of I have been coincidentally re-watching Supernatural actually I don't know if it's coincidental it's probably because of the naughties we have been watching but <laughs> yeah it, Supernatural the TV show starts with a parent being murdered in a childhood in a child's bedroom by a demon the the winchester brother's mum goes up to check on sam uh, when he's a baby in his cot and there's a figure standing over them that she thinks is the dad but then she goes downstairs and it and the dad's foot asleep downstairs and it's a demon and she gets uh gruesomely murdered by it so it's obviously like this is he's kind of got some ideas that would work better later that are in this film and it even looks like an episode of Supernatural because it's got that kind of cheap um we found this cheap house let's let's shoot here kind of thing going on um I think it was made in New Zealand rather than Vancouver oh, really? but um wow. I think it's and yeah it's partly why I think Lucy Lawless was in it very briefly oh, that makes
1: sense yeah what was in the cultural sort of soup that meant that we were constantly doing stories about children repressing memories like did we have there wasn't like another satanic panic or anything around this time was there was there I don't
0: think so. I don't think so, but I guess it's all like kids of the 70s who started making these things, wasn't it? Uh, um yeah. So all of that stuff would have been around and also, yeah, all those things about Spielberg absent dads and there's a lot of parent issues and all these things.
1: And everyone grew up watching fucking Poltergeist.
0: And everyone grew up watching fucking Poltergeist, exactly. <laughs> Yeah, it's a lot of love for like Americana, but like, oh, actually, my childhood wasn't as great as like, well, no one was. No. But um, it's definitely parent issues, and I think Supernatural would be all about siblings. But there's a lot of dad stuff in Supernatural, endless, li- endless dad stuff, <laughs> um, and dead mum stuff. It does feel like ultra generic. <laughs> Just the themes. and Well, all of yeah, it.
1: because like you're saying these things, and I'm like. Well that also applies to a dead silence, even though in many ways they couldn't be more different. But like dead parents and daddy issues and everything yeah, like yeah. that. Definitely comes back in here.
0: <laughs> Absolutely. It just got on like a side note, there is a episode of Supernatural in season two called Hollywood Babylon that is set on a uh, a haunted film set where um, one of the actors in it dean goes up to her and says oh i loved you and boogeyman and she goes oh yeah thanks that that was a terrible script
1: wow
0: but the the plot of it is that it turns out that there's the it's the original writer of a film has conjured ghosts because he's upset at how much they've um they've made his (gasps) his baby script like turned into a generic (laughs) generic stupid ghost story
1: oh my god i love that (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I mean, I feel like twenty twenty three is not the time to start watching Supernatural for the first time. But
0: um. I don't know. There's, there's thirteen <laughs> seasons of it, and you only really need to watch the first few seasons because it uh, yeah it gets pretty shit pretty quickly. But I do. I've got a massive soft spot for the early series. Mm. If you like daddy issues, and if you like uh, brothers <laughs> constantly <laughs> sacrificing themselves for each other because they love each other so much but they can't say it to each other because it's the naughties. <laughs> oh God. <laughs>
1: Oh, God. Oh, man. It's the noughties and even brothers can't say they love each other. That's right.
0: They'll do a lot of crying at each other while like doing like stoic faces, but they won't say it. Oh, my
1: God. (laughs) I think this podcast is really helping with any temptation to feel nostalgic for this period of time. (laughs) Fucking absolutely sucked. Um, yeah, let's do Dead Silence. Um Yeah. <laughs> Dead Silence is a film that I always associate with you anyway, so
0: Ah, <laughs> oh, lovely Dead Silence. Uh Dead Silence made in 2007 by uh, directed by James Wan and written by Lee Winnell the duo who did Saw and would go on to do Insidious, which we'll get to in just a moment. <laughs> but yeah, so the plot of Dead Silence is Weirdly difficult to like to in a nutshell. Because uh, it's
1: deranged. Because <laughs> it is deranged, exactly.
0: So it starts with Jamie and Lisa are a lovely young couple, played by Ryan Quantin from True Blood and Laura Reagan from West Craven Presents They. Um, <laughs> and they've just moved into a new apartment when a box arrives at the front door. There's no one there, but inside the box is a terrifying ventriloquist dummy. <laughs>
1: She says something really like awkward and clunky, like, hey, this reminds me of that poem from when we were kids. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Like, oh I don't know why, like I, but... That's how people talk.
0: <laughs> yeah. Remember that urban legend from when we were kids that terrified us about ventriloquist dummies? <laughs> exactly. So yeah, it's beware the stare of Mary Shaw, she had no children, only dolls.
1: And if you see her something something, never scream.
0: You must I, never scream. Yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> there's more. I'm sure there are more words than that.
0: <laughs> there are. She doesn't remember them all at the start, though. To oh, be okay, fair. so
1: that's fine. We're we're off the hook.
0: We are. Um, <laughs> yeah. So Jamie goes out to get takeaway, uh, while uh, Lisa stays in the apartment with the doll, tries to pose him to be like, oh, let's scare Jamie, and in the process is gruesomely attacked and has her tongue ripped out. When Jamie arrives home, Lisa is... I think she's talking uh, and tells him to come to the bedroom and that's where he finds her. Uh, Understandably, the police reckon that he did it, but he's for some reason allowed to return home uh, to, uh, to bury Lisa at home, even though he hates the place.
1: I don't think he's meant to. I think he gets told off.
0: Oh, that's right. He does get a scolding. Yeah, doesn't get arrested, but he does get a scolding. <laughs> but yes, well, while he's at home and he goes to visit his dad uh, with his dad's new creepy stepmom and uh, dad's new wife, sorry, Jamie's new st- creepy stepmom, and digs into the legend of Mary Shaw to find out what's going on with this creepy ventriloquist dummy. Yeah, which is sinister uh,
1: it's <laughs> it's so so good and so bad at the same time I've really come around on this film because I used to really oh, hate it and then you've like bullied me into watching it about another seven times <laughs> 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 I've just given in
0: <laughs> oh it's just so fun it gets better every time I watch it
1: it does get better for but mostly for the twist but we'll get to that I think I think right from the start it's really clear that we're just not in a version of reality at all because yeah it makes no sense like the way that Lisa's body is posed when she's been murdered and the proper kind of horrible horror movie makeup that they put on her and the way she's all twisted and stuff and you're like that's not just a guy that's just like Stabbed his wife or whatever. Like, there's clearly <laughs> something really fucked up going on.
0: Absolutely, yeah. And like Donny Wahlberg uh, plays the cop, Detective Lipton, who's this kind of complete caricature of scuzzy, sort of almost comedy relief cop, but like wise cracking. And he's got an electric razor that he carries around with him all the time.
1: Yeah, he's constantly shaving. <laughs>
0: constantly shaving, which is obviously just like one of those bits of business that. Either he was given or decided to go with, uh, but like incorporated it into every scene. <laughs>
1: he is—he is in a different—he is in a different movie to everyone else. Oh, completely. He yeah. is doing like a kind of noir pastiche, mm-hmm. and like everything that he does in the entire movie, right down to like when he dies, there's a punchline. It's all comedy and no seriousness <laughs> whatsoever. Yeah. <laughs> So this movie was kind of buried on release, right? Because I remember seeing stuff in horror magazines like James Wan's next movie, After Saw. Oh, wait, was Death Sentence in that? I'm not sure. But like, you know, he's doing this different thing. And then like, it was impossible to get hold of. It had no theatrical release in the UK. Uh, I think we just had to import a DVD in the end. I'm pretty sure that our DVD is like Region 1.
0: Yeah, I think you got like a big push in the States and flopped. The reviews were bad um
1: (laughs) as they would be it makes no fucking sense
0: (laughs) yeah it 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 really doesn't and it's it's it is so different to saw it's like saw is like incredibly tightly plotted it's like clockwork the whole thing and so many different things are running at the same time it's such a well-oiled machine and dead silence is not that dead silence is a complete mess in a lot of ways
1: I think even Lee Whannell said that. I think he's talked about... Um, I should have looked this up, but I, I, I've definitely read interviews with him talking about how they basically just had to like rush this out and they just had this idea of doing a yeah creepy Gothic like amicus type thing and just had no time. So he was just banging out ideas and they did not hold together at all. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I think, yeah, and they rewrote... I think someone else rewrote bits of it as well. So I think he's... he's- uh, no, I think he disowned bits of the script and said like uh, different people came in to do different bits.
1: Which bits? <laughs> I want I I to know, know which bits. Me. I want to know which bits he's proud to claim. <laughs> <laughs> which part of this film are you taking credit for?
0: The rhyme. It's got to be the rhyme.
1: <laughs> <laughs> it's got to be the. the uh, there's a really long version. I have no idea where it came from, but um, yeah, like I've ju- I googled it. and there's a really long version. Uh, full poem with 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 extras. Beware the stare <laughs> of Mary Shaw. She had no children, only dolls. Like, that's the bit that everyone remembers because it's just, it's, it doesn't rhyme or s- scan no. or anything. Um, mm-hmm. And if you see her in your dreams, you must never, ever scream for she is taking revenge upon all who had silenced her and made her fall sending out 101 dolls to rip out their tongues so none of them will utter a single word again i wouldn't take Ugh. credit for this this is like it's barely even doggerel it's like just oh god word, i didn't know i single.
0: don't think the, the the rest of that's in the film is it it is keeps <laughs>
1: going like that's <laughs> that's like the first third of it oh my god <laughs> beady little eyes turning everywhere you go leave them in the dark and you never know forever they will place you down in eternal sleep with a picture of horror your own blood will seep and gone forever she will take all your loved ones and family this must be a fan thing this cannot all be in the film someone must have fucking made this up
0: i think it's only the first four lines that are in the film
1: (laughs) and that's all you need Mm -hmm. because the whole thing is like yeah beware this ghost is going to get you and she wants to rip your tongue out, so keep your fucking mouth shut. That's right. That's right.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so Mary Shaw is the sort of the boogeyman kind of witch ghoul figure that's hanging over this small town. And she's, yeah, had no children, only dolls. So she she puts on this, this t- like this ventriloquist dummy show at this incredibly beautiful theatre that this town with approximately 30 people somehow have
1: <laughs> all, it gets packed out and it's also at this theatre that's completely inaccessible
0: <laughs> yeah you, have, you can only get to like a swamp. it by boat
1: <laughs> oh you can only get to it by boat in the present day I think there are like I think you can see like the remnants of a bridge but even right. so but even so like yeah it's, it's not it's not the most ideal venue
0: it's like an opera house inside it's yes, gorgeous.
1: gorgeous but like <laughs> it doesn't make any sense <laughs> no. but like this is the town of Ravens Fair where everything is like black and white and like it's so mm-hmm. striking on a rewatch how stylized this film is like the color is just drained out of it there's a long sequence where like the only thing that's in color is um Ryan Quantton's red car
0: hmm
1: <laughs> And it's like, is this telling me anything? No, um, no, it's not. It's just that's his car, so I can see where
0: it is. <laughs> uh, she's drained the lifeblood from this town.
1: <laughs> yes, so yes, yeah, so she's putting on these weird ass ventriloquism shows, and like a child heckles her at one of them, mm-hmm. and she that's it. and and that's that's basically. And then he goes missing, and so the townspeople think that she killed him. Do we know if she did or not?
0: She did, yeah.
1: Okay, she did kill. Wow. Oh, yeah, of course, because you find, they find they find the um uh, decayed like corpse, don't they?
0: Yeah, she turned him into a doll yeah. so <laughs> what happens if you heckle someone, just be careful because they might kill you and turn you into a ventriloquist. Doll.
1: Do you think that that part of this film was inspired by Lee One L being really angry about film critics?
0: I mean why not? yeah <laughs> that sounds great. They got angry
1: she has a hundred and one dolls. For some reason, even though she only performs with one Billy mm-hmm. and the townspeople like c- cut her tongue out. Right. And so that there's this there's this actually surprisingly sort of cool effect that when the ghost of Mary Shaw is approaching, um, all the background audio drops out. Mm. So you just get this dead silence Uh, and then the film slightly ruins it by then whacking a bit of like incidental music over it and I'm like it was way creepier to just be silent yeah like if you're going to do that if you're going to have the audio in a scene be relevant you kind of can't just stick some creepy music on it because that ruins everything but, you know, yeah. it's like everything in this film. It's like half thought out. <laughs>
0: yeah, so she's coming for tongue specifically. Yes. But she's still going to turn you into a doll.
1: Yes, because isn't there a thing about there have been a bunch of murders? Oh, when, um, when, what's his name? Oh, Jamie. Uh, when Jamie goes to see the, like, town mortician, he shows him a bunch of photographs he's taken of crime scenes where people have been posed like dolls. And Jamie's like, why did you take these photos? And I'm like, very good question, very good question. it's my job. It's not (laughs) weird. It's "It's really
0: not. (laughs) The the essential thing is that she's coming for the bloodline of everyone who, of all the townsfolk who murdered her.
1: Well, specifically, she's coming for the bloodline of uh, the child who heckled her, who she murdered.
0: Mm. (laughs) Yeah.
1: It's a bit of like, uh, like a freddy krueger situation but worse whereas like <laughs> you've got a murderer and then you've killed them and then they've turned into a monster and the rules are weird and we don't know why they're so weird but that's that's just what the rules are
0: yeah the rules are like hazy at best um <laughs> she is coming for these people but not exclusively um, <laughs> Oh yeah she so.
1: should just get you I think we need to talk about the twist at some point in order for me to ask my other questions about the plot of this film.
0: Okay, yeah. So the the twist of Dead Silence is wonderful.
1: It is fucking glorious.
0: If you haven't seen it, um, turn off now. Yeah, just go watch go Dead, Dead Silence watch
1: now it. if you haven't seen it, because yeah, it's this, such this a great amazing. twist. It's. I think it might be my favourite twist of any film ever. <laughs> like, I really fucking love it. And yeah, yeah, so good.
0: Yeah, so yeah, it is. It is amazing. The twist of dead silence is that Jamie has been going to visit his dad, who's been kind of parceling out some information about Mary Shaw. While well, his stepmom seems nice enough, but when he arrives at his house near the end of the film, he discovers that his dad has in fact died some time ago, and that he's not just had a recently had a stroke and is wheelchair bound. He is in fact hollow, <laughs> and is being worked like a puppet with a big wooden stick in the back through his back and up his head uh, by his stepmom, who is Mary Shaw, who has put on a, 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 a false face.
1: I was going to say that's what that is. My question: So, um, how, why, <laughs> how come she can do that? Sometimes she can appear as a beautiful young woman. Um, and no other, like, what, if you can do that, why is she bothering with any of the other fuckery?
0: It's a really good question. I'm not <laughs> sure there's an answer for it. No, it's <laughs> really not.
1: I I do think in terms of casting, um, uh, Amber Valletta as, like, the stepmom and Judith Roberts as Mary Shaw, it is uncanny. Like, when they do the yeah. sort of merge of her young face and her old face, I, I had to check that they were two different women because it works so really well. Really <laughs> good, isn't it?
0: Yeah, it's like Haunting a veil House style, like. Matching up young and old. But yeah, perfect casting now.
1: The Haunting of Hill... No, The Haunting of Hill House is a cheat because that, fil- that um, film, that show, has, like, six women who are all identical in it. <laughs> like, I, I it struggled so much with the first, like, three episodes, probably, because I was like, there are so many women in this show and they all have the exact same hair and I cannot tell them apart. <laughs> 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 yes, uh, so... Now that we're talking about it, it feels like that twist is really obvious. But I didn't see it coming when I watched the film, probably oh, because absolutely not. Yeah, you just don't trust this film to have any sense of 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 cleverness <laughs> at all. And why I think I love it so much is because when you watch it back and you see every interaction with his father, it's just it like it just works really well. Like, you can see like he's not moving, he's not doing anything that he couldn't do unless he was a dummy there's like, a, there's a wonderful bit where uh, they flash back I think to her kind of feeding him soup mm-hmm. <laughs> and then like the soup is just falling down inside it's like
0: glopping it's it was great, so disgusting it? it's so and so
1: wonderful like in reality of course it makes no fucking sense that you would not notice that you were like sitting next to a corpse but in the fucked up non reality of Raven's Fair it's just perfect and it's so creepy and it's so horrible.
0: It's I think like Bob Gunton's performance as well is brilliant because he's <laughs> kind of supposed to be stuck up and distant and I think in the film like he's he's saying like, Oh, like I'd like to I'd like us to be a family again. <laughs> like I want us to but Jamie hates him anyway and doesn't want to come anywhere near him. So there's like this kind of there's this stiffness, uh, metaphorical stiffness between them anyway. And then like yeah. a, the literal sniff, stiffness, you don't question it.
1: Yeah. Because like it would all have fallen apart if Jamie had gone to give his dad a hug.
0: Yeah, exactly.
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh, the other like really fucking weird detail that I love about this film is there's a scene where Jamie's walking down the stairs of his dad's. Of course, massive gothic mansion. And he has portraits that used to be of him with his ex-wives, but he's had them painted out. So it's mm. just his dad sitting next, um, standing like behind an empty chair. I think that's maybe why the twist isn't so, isn't as obvious as it sounds when you talk about it, because you're sort of looking at him being the bad guy and this, like, young woman. You know, you see, like, horrible old man, beautiful young woman, horrible old rich man, beautiful young mm. woman, and you think, yeah, that's a dynamic I understand. Uh, yeah. But, yeah, <laughs> it turns out she's just puppeting him. And, like, yeah, you look at every scene with the minute differently when you rewatch it. Like, she's always standing slightly behind him with a, like hand on his shoulder or something. <laughs> oh so good
0: yeah and she's always looking a bit cautious and in the film like the first time you watch it it's like oh she's worried that worried about jamie's gonna come in and wreck whatever they've got going on yeah but no or like she's worried that like oh they're gonna have a big argument so it's like she's always got her her hand on the dad's shoulder um and always like got like her mouth like half open and you think like oh it's because she's like wondering whether or not to say something Yeah, it was because
1: ventriloquism. Oh, so (laughs) beautiful. I love it. I just, I don't don't know. It's just so good. (laughs) I wish that the rest of the film around it was better. And I don't know. It's almost like it's maybe it's because it doesn't have enough. Like, it doesn't go as crazy as something like Crimson Peak, where it leans so far into the sort of opulent gothic nonsense that you just forgive it everything. Probably because it's like mid two thousands and <laughs> that isn't an option. I don't know. I yeah. I I've come around on it, on it a lot, but um, it does still it does still struggle to make sense.
0: It does. It doesn't really make sense, and I think it does have those kind of flat patches. But there's it yeah. It's when it like the whole sequence where Jamie goes to the ruined theatre uh, across the water to. He's been lured there by Mary Shaw pretending to be the uh, the coroner on the phone, um, and is followed by Donny Wahlberg as the detective, and the two of them are poking around this very very creepy huge theatre. It's it's great. <laughs> there's the huge curtains and there's like this room full of dolls, and there's this, there's a scene where Jamie finds out what. Uh, Mary Shaw wants from him basically and there's so much kind of great like come closer and I'll tell whisper it to you mm. kind of stuff and the tongue made of tongues I do uh, really love tongue made of it's- the tongue made of tongues is great
1: the thing that I think it almost doesn't sell very well is the reveal uh, quite late on that the reason why uh, Jamie's wife had to die is because she was pregnant Mm-hmm and yeah. like, they do, they do hint at that because like in that first scene, there's some little, there's a bit where she kind of like stands in front of the mirror with a pillow, up a jumper and stuff. So you, you yeah. but I I think I'd kind of forgotten that, but like the cruelty of, of I murdered your wife and unborn child, is just, it's so horrible that I'm like, <laughs> even in this film about haunted dolls and murdered children, <laughs> that just really feels like, oh, I don't know if you've earned that. That's just unthinkably nasty.
0: Yeah, and I think Bless Ryan Quentin, like, he doesn't really have a lot to work with.
1: I don't rate but him as yeah, gonna be honest.
0: No, he's not he does kind of confused. well. But <laughs> I think when he needs to sell grief and like that sort of moment, it's a bit like Yeah. It it doesn't yeah, I, I agree, it doesn't land. Um and it goes straight into we need to shoot all these dummies with a shotgun. Mm. Um yeah, it, there's there's not that moment doesn't isn't given the um the kind of room to breathe that it should at no. all. <laughs> but then nothing is in this film. No. It's all such like a mad mix of ideas and um and like the don't even the don't scream thing is there's not really that many sequences where it's like that much of a threat.
1: No, they don't use it well at all.
0: Yeah. Like it's a fun rhyme, but also like and, and it does kind of pay off with Donny Wahlberg's character where It's because he's falling and then, yeah, yeah, screams while falling and then is thrown up again with his mouth ripped open. That bit's kind of fun.
1: (laughs) Yeah. But then then they ruined that because they let his corpse fall to the ground with his electric shaver, like, buzzing (laughs) along the floor. Like, like I say, like, everything is a punchline with that character.
0: Yeah, agreed. But I also think this film would make so much money if it came out now. Like, it, it sunk when it came out. Uh, in 2007. Was it 2007? I think so. Yes. But now I think looking at it, it's like it's building to a huge twist that is kind of not sold at all in the trailers. Yeah. But also like all these kind of creepy puppets and creepy dolls, old women sort of with a creepy doll going after young children. Uh, like the there's so many... The things that I feel like, if you put them in a trailer now, people would get, people would go. I really yeah, think, like, I think it would. I think it would, I think it would slay.
1: I think. Do you know what I think? I think somebody should fix the script and do a remake, and do it properly. Mm. I think hand this hot mess to like Guillermo del Toro and do it proper. <laughs> that would be so fucking good. Uh,
0: that'd be me. fun. <sighs>
1: Uh, and and like chuck out the entire cast, but Amber Valletta and Judith Roberts can stay.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> I I was convinced that Judith Roberts um, showed up in Insidious, but she doesn't, does she? Someone else.
0: No, but she's there. Are characters in Insidious that are definitely Mary Shaw inspired? Aren't yes. They? Yeah. Um, yeah. I guess that. I so. I, I, have you got anything else you want to no. to say about? <laughs> it's a wonderful Dead Silence. <laughs> wonderful
1: Dead Silence. Mm, yes. <laughs>
0: yeah, I guess that brings us to Insidious in 2010, which also James Wan and Leigh Wanell. And this one comes out after yeah, the failure of Dead Silence and after they've made some couple of non-horror things as well, I think like Death Sentence. And I think the the shine had kind of come off them a bit. By 2010, the Saw franchise is basically dead. Yeah. Um Paranormal yeah, Activity have come out.
1: yeah.
0: <laughs> so, yeah, the, the, the Saw guys decide to make, yeah, like a low-budget ghost story, kind of. Yeah, so the, the plot of this one is, it's all about the Lambert family, played by Rose Byrne and Patrick Wilson, the parents, Renee and Josh. And they've got three young children, and they decide, to, they're mo- just moving into this, imagine any home, <laughs> any new home from an American horror yeah. movie. <laughs> that they probably can't afford, but they're going to grow into it. And it's worth it. And then, obviously, because it's a horror movie, things immediately go south for them. Uh, The oldest son, Dalton, who's played by Ty Simpkins, is investigating something in the attic and falls off a ladder. They think he's fine, but the next morning he's fallen into a coma that is one of those horror movie comas that can't be explained by medical science. And it immediately becomes apparent that something spooky is going on as Renee starts to hear and see spooky spooky presences there's ghosts there's weird noises there's voices it seems like something is coming for their son but is it really the house that's haunted
1: <laughs> oh, insidious
0: insidious i think
1: having watched this back to back with dead silence the two films have a lot of the same problems but Let's not start off on a negative note. <laughs> I went to a press screening of this and I came out of it with tears streaming down my face from every kind of jump scare would like slightly <laughs> jolt a bit of a tear like and then there were so many of them. Like I looked this up on a, a a website called where's the jump.com that tells you where the jump scares are in a horror film in case you hate <laughs> fun and um it has 24 jump scares (laughs) in 103 minutes. That's quite a lot of jump scares. (laughs) That's
0: quite a lot, yeah. I do oh man, yeah. I remember the jump scares. I saw it um, I was working at Cinewell Birmingham when this came out. James Wan and Lee Winnell came to do uh, an intro for it uh, and I couldn't go because I was working in the bar but I did uh, get to say hi to them because they sat in the bar while the film was on, which was lovely. Yeah. James Wan was very nice. Um... (coughs) shade (laughs) (laughs) Uh, and then so I saw it like in the middle of the day the next day when I was off and yeah the jump scares the jump scares are nuts in the cinema good lord this was loud
1: yeah
0: Uh, I'm a jumpy person anyway like I jump at a car door slamming but oh man this was this was a big one for the jump scares (laughs) yeah that
1: uh, that was my biggest kind of disappointment on a rewatch, and it might be because I'm watching it at home and not in a cinema but um I missed that visceral jumpiness. I think also I've seen it a bunch of times, so I kind of know when they're coming. I really missed that adrenaline rush. That's something that I think I'm always chasing in horror films, and it's been a while. And uh, yeah, it's a shame that this one doesn't work anymore. But I <laughs> don't.
0: It's it's interesting because I think. We've been doing quite a lot of these where I say that uh, my partner and I watch it as a comfort movie, but <laughs> we do watch Insidious a lot for that reason. Uh, yeah, we love it. And it's interesting, having watched it so many times, the jump scares don't land as well as they did. But some of the like pure creepiness is still really nicely done, actually, for me anyway.
1: Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, 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 I'm I, not saying like it, it doesn't, it, I'm saying it doesn't work for me. Like not that the jump scares don't work. They don't work for me anymore because I've seen it.
0: At yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think I just meant that like there's some of the stuff that I didn't really remember being scary at the cinema. There's like little bits that I, I think, um, like I think, I think I found the little boy a bit silly at the cinema and now I really love him.
1: <laughs> so malevolent. But yeah, I have been singing Tiptoe Through the Cheerlips around oh, the yeah. flat ever since I watched this. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> so like every other, well, no, not Dead Silence, I guess. Um, I was going to say every other film on this episode of the podcast, this is a Poltergeist ripoff. Mm-hmm. And I think I didn't, 100%. <laughs> didn't really appreciate that until I'd watched Poltergeist again after seeing like the first two, I think, Insidious movies, because also Poltergeist, just to put it out there, fuck Poltergeist, it's not that good. Yeah. Don't work if you're
0: an adult. Yeah, I think because I saw it as an adult, I never really... I I kind of... It's one of those ones where I understand if you saw this as a kid, it would be terrifying. As an adult, I was a bit like, oh, yeah. But also because I saw it after, I'm sure, loads of films that ripped off Poltergeist. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's one of those awkward ones where... Yeah, I, I've seen Poltergeist. I think once, and it's not one of those films. I think, oh, I should probably rewatch Poltergeist. Whenever I think about it, I'm like, ah, oh, it's kind of long and a bit boring.
1: It's really boring. Um, I think the main sort of th- thing that I thought in relation to Dead Silence that works with this one is that like it's not very careful with how the story unfolds, and it's it's not that it doesn't make sense because I think logically it kind of does but emotionally there's no through line because the film starts off and you're very much in Renee's perspective. She's the one who is at home being haunted, dealing with her son being in a coma and Josh, and actually that's the thing that hit me a little bit harder as a older adult than I was the first thing. I'm sorry, Josh is just staying at work and not engaging with anything. Mm-hmm. And there's, like, this beautiful scene where she confronts him and is like, I'm really scared. And he's like, I'm scared too. He's my son too. And she's like, yeah, but you're not here with me. You're not physically here and you're not mentally here. You're not engaging with the with what's going on. Um, And that really, like, kind of hurt, like, imagining trying to deal with all this horror and your partner's just switched off. Like, that's, ugh, nasty. But, yeah, like, we're with her for ages. Like, there's this whole thing about how... She is a musician and she's trying to write songs, but obviously she has three small kids to deal with, one of whom is now in a coma. Uh, And so she doesn't really have time to do it. And that all feels very, like that that's going somewhere, like she's a thwarted artist and her life has been taken over by looking after these kids. And then it's just like, Oh, uh, about halfway in, we're like, turns out actually it's Josh that's haunted and we don't care about Renee anymore.
0: <laughs> yeah, 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 that is a problem. I think watching it over and over again, um, <laughs> one of the things I really like about it, yeah, like you said, is that the relationship between Renee and Josh is, I think, really well done in a way that Lee and I think hadn't really done before. And like you said, the just like the physical distance that josh puts between himself and what's going on at home and i thought it was interesting like he's not like in a 70s movie josh would be coming home boozed up and sort of like larry but he's just staying at work he's not kind of going out and drinking himself into oblivion he's just i can't go home and face this i'm just going to stay here and i thought that was really interesting that um yeah, that kind of, like, hard disconnect. Yeah. Um, and it's just, like, it, they do... There's a lot of little details in his characterisation early on that paint him as someone who's... Uh, like, he's he's quite vain. Like, he's putting on, like, his night cream and stuff like that. And it's <laughs> got, oh, I, I like, like that
1: when they're both putting on their moisturizers and things before bed.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I think it's like he's noticing his grey hairs and, like, he's... Um, it's got like his little, his, his like dad chain and stuff like that. It's just like he's obviously someone who's not, you know, he he doesn't want to do the difficult parenting stuff. Like yeah. he wants to do the fun things and like he's oh he doesn't have time to take the kids to school. Like he's someone who's not grown up yet. Yeah. And it's little details of that I think are really nicely done.
1: The um the the other the other scene that's worth mentioning on that note is there's a scene where. I think it actually might be the extension of that scene where he's putting on his moisturiser where um, she's talking to him about how she's been trying to write music and she thinks she's got a couple of songs that might go somewhere. And he kind of says like, oh, I love all your songs. And she's like, really? What's your favourite? And he can't answer because he's not paying attention to her life. He's giving it the big one all like, oh, I love you. I love everything you do. But he's not actually paying attention. And he instead just asks her to write a song about how amazing he is. (laughs) yeah which is it's so self-centered so like in a way I could kind of see like that that could be intentional the way that they switch protagonists but I think it maybe needed another draft to make it work like there's the seeds of it but to make it work I think the film would have had to convince me that it still cared even if he didn't I'm not sure yeah yeah
0: I think so because there's a bit unnoticed this time we watched it was where like she says to him before yeah because Josh is the one who has to go and rescue the son from the further which is the kind of the ghost dimension essentially and yeah she says to him like you're you're the strong one you've always been the strong one and I was like really
1: that's not true yeah oh Renee oh my heart hurts for her um yeah so I guess we should uh talk about the plot of what actually is revealed to be going on. So once their son uh, goes into a coma, they call in a psychic who is Elise Aranier, played by Lin yay. And, yay. and her team of uh, nerds, <laughs> well, Specs and Tucker, played by Lee Whannell and Angus Sampson. And she explains that what's happened is that their son can astral project. But the problem with astral projection is that there are beings that exist on the astral plane that will like try and get you or like while your soul is out of your body, like they'll try and steal your body and stuff. So their son is not in a coma, but his mind, soul, whatever is trapped in this other dimension. And so his body is just kind of an empty husk at the moment, which is quite bleak.
0: Mm. (laughs) Yeah.
1: (laughs) But it's nice because, um, I think that this whole era of uh, haunted house movies that turn out to be not haunted house movies are quite fun when like, as soon as they, as soon as they kind of clock, Oh, we think there's something supernatural going on here. They move house. And Josh is even like, of course I believe you. I moved house for you. Uh, Mm. And then like, Elise shows up and is like, yeah, it's not the house that's haunted. It's, it's your son. And actually it's you. And it turns out that she has a history with Josh and that, As a child, he was haunted by a being from the further, and she had helped to get rid of it. It's a lot of backstory for the first film in a franchise.
0: It is, yeah, and I do, I do, I think it's a good twist that it turns out that yeah, the reason why yeah Josh doesn't want to look behind him is (laughs) there, yeah. (laughs) yeah, I think it's and it's done really nicely, and the performances are excellent with Lynn Shay and Barbara Hershey. Yeah, Barbara Hershey playing uh, Patrick Wilson's mum, like they really sell it. And they do. I think it handles that shift really well, where it's like here's everything that's happening, and it's a, like you said, it's a lot of information to just like hand over. But yeah, it's it's the point where josh goes in josh has to go into the further because all these ghosts and demons have been showing up and there's some fantastic jump scares I we said
1: yes the one that you kind of alluded to and you said he won't look behind him uh where barbara hershey is telling the story of how she'd she'd come to the house and seen a demon and there's just that amazing shot where uh the lipstick faced demon is behind patrick wilson and it just it goes on for so much longer than you think it will it's ah yeah. <laughs> oh, it's glorious. I re- still remember that from the first time of how scary that was. And that like I jumped and then sort of expected it to be just a jump scare and sort of so I kind of jumped and covered my face and then looked back and the thing was still there. <laughs> it's like yeah. oh my god it won't go.
0: <laughs>
1: yeah, I love that.
0: Yeah, and he's not seeing it at all. No. Like he's completely unaware. And then it makes sense cuz uh, Lin Cha's character Elise uh has a kind of as when he was a child, she basically shut off his ability to to astral project and to to remember anything about it. So he's completely unaware of what's happening, but knows like knows somewhere in the back of his mind that it's real. Yeah, that oh, that jump scare is so good. <laughs> oh man,
1: that is like the well, no, yeah, I think that's the jump scare in this film. There are others that are really good, but that one is. There's nothing scarier than someone like pointing behind someone else and being like it's behind you like that is that's that's the scariest scare you can have
0: yeah it's wonderful i do also really like it's not as good but renee sees someone pacing outside their bedroom window and you see him go forward the first time you don't really see it and then so you're looking for it a second time like oh fuck there he is and then the third time he paces across he's in He's suddenly inside the room
1: yeah that's good I also like uh, when Tucker is using the the very highly scientific, I'm sure, toy that's basically just a, a, a Viewmaster that has different coloured filters. Oh, yeah. And he's like clicking through and suddenly there's like ghosts, like twin girls standing there being creepy. That's really good. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah, that one is good. <laughs> yeah, I think I, w- once he goes into the ghost dimension, though, it goes into the further, it's... <laughs> It's interesting because I think this film, I think, got quite a lot of flack for for really showing you the the monsters. And I think some people found them a bit silly and it, it kind of became like the James Wan trope in a way to like, oh, we, we like this monster, so we're just going to show you it.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: And especially once you, you Josh goes in, ventures into the further and it's, you know, it's like the he's still in the house, but it's like a fog bound dark version of it where all the otherworldly figures who are have been drawn by the beacon that is his son are all hanging out being creepy and the first one I think works really well with the family that are kind of frozen in time before they're about to get murdered yeah yeah I think by the time that he kind of has to face the big boss demon you do kind of see a bit too much of it and it does become a bit silly.
1: It's because he's so camp. He's, like, filing his he's nails. He's so camp. <laughs>
0: yeah. He's filing his so nails. Fun. He's licking glass. So he's, fun. Yeah. Got his forked tongue and he's licking stuff.
1: I feel like I need to shout out that guy whose name I can't remember, but he's the... Um, the guy who plays the demon is also the composer and he has a name and it is. Joseph Beshara, <laughs> that's the, who I mean, yeah. Um ah, yes. Joseph. So, yeah, he... he does all the amazing violin screechy music and and plays the demon. What an excellent... Amazing. I didn't realise that was great. him. That's awesome. Yeah. And he shows up in other James Wan films as other monsters quite a lot. He's just one of those guys. One of those guys. But yeah. I mean, <laughs> it is one of those things where you have to like, yeah, don't interrogate it too much. Because... Why are all these demons here, and how come their son has just been lying there empty for like months, and none of them have actually managed to get inside and possess him?
0: Yeah, seriously, like it's almost like a year, isn't it?
1: Yeah, there's a good there's there's a decent like cu- couple of months time jump at one point. Yeah, I don't know. It it's very scary and visually it's very cool and yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and that's about it. Yeah, it's it works better than Dead Silence
0: for sure. Yeah, there's like there's a lot more plotting happening, and it's like you said, I think a lot more care has gone into some of it at least. <laughs> yeah, and I think James one, it's interesting watching it after the Silence because it clearly has a much smaller budget, but the ways he finds to do stuff with the camera and I, I, I don't know, you always get the sense of James one's having fun. Yeah, even when it's kind of like it's a movie set in a house that is. Not a gothic mansion, yeah, or like, like in the conjuring, like it's a huge sprawling, like 70s mess, whereas this is very much like a suburban, yeah, it's still thing.
1: like a m- mansion, isn't it? Well, it, two of them as well. The fact that they have two, the thing that I really weirdly got a kick out of is um how prominent the grandfather clock that the family owns is in both of the houses and the houses do have a noticeably different layouts and the clock is in different places in each house but I don't know I, I just really enjoyed that actually like sort of was a little bit of grounding in reality because it's like oh yeah that's their stuff their stuff is in this house that's how moving house works yeah yeah <laughs> Yeah, well done, production
0: Definitely. design. <laughs> I think as well. I just I was thinking about like James Bond doing kind of doing more with a little. Mm. And I was just thinking about that opening scene where it's kind of in a dark bedroom, and it kind of pans through, and then you see a figure in the closet, and it's it turns out it's the old lady demon who's been haunting Patrick Wilson for all these years. But just as like you you kind of see her and make her out, think, oh, that's creepy. Then the title flashes on the screen with like a really like loud screech yeah. like, yeah. <laughs> and it's that's like the first jump scare in the movie it's the title <laughs> Just like, yeah, I that love kind that. of sets you up for oh yeah you're gonna be jumping a lot for the next <laughs> 100 minutes
1: i really like that i i'm sort of tempted to go and rewatch the rest of the franchise now even though i know it's dramatically diminishing returns
0: yeah, three is really good. I like three a lot.
1: I liked three when I saw it. I I worry that maybe maybe I wouldn't now.
0: I think it holds up pretty well at shoe three. Uh, we've watched it a couple of times. Two, we've tried to rewatch a bunch of times and just like, turned it off I think,
1: every time. <gasps> Two, I really, really hated the first time I saw it. And then I've watched it again since and been like, I sort of dig the ghost train vibes of it. And Patrick Wilson's having a fun time. Um, mm. But. The whole problem with this entire franchise is how they end this first movie, which is that they kill off Elise, which they clearly should not have done.
0: Yes, it's a great twist, I think, in the moment where Patrick Wilson is revealed to have come back from the further possessed by the the demon that has haunted him his whole life gets him. And it's because he... instead of getting his son to safety he tries to stand up and say i'm not afraid of you anymore so he should have just should have just made sure have that just uh, run away. yeah little dalton got home safe should have yeah should have just run away he'd have been fine and he wouldn't have killed uh elise when she took his picture <sighs> yeah that's a yeah great final jump scare when, um, it
1: is a great final jump scare but they should have thought do you think we might ever want to make a sequel to this <laughs>
0: yeah maybe we don't kill it maybe we have josh is possessed but we don't kill at someone <laughs>
1: else like yeah yeah I, I i think like every other film basically has different ways of trying to solve the how do we get elise back problem so like in mm-hmm. the second one she's there as a ghost in the further and then the third one is a prequel and then i think a bunch of them are prequels because they're I don't remember fourth if there's another one. fourth one's a prequel. Is, which is the one fourth with the one's last a, key? The sequel
0: to the prequel. That's the fourth one. Is it? Yeah.
1: And I haven't seen The Red Door.
0: I haven't seen The Red Door yet either. The last key is really shit. It
1: was so fucking bad that, yeah, I think it yeah. put me off. I was like, oh, I'll just wait till it's on streaming.
0: <laughs> yeah, just, uh, the last key. Because I really like three and it was such a pleasant surprise because two was so bad. Yeah. And I was like, oh, it's another release one. Great. And it's, oh... It's awful.
1: It's fucking shocking. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but but yeah, like, because they, they, you know, they've just come off the back of like Saw spawning so many sequels. And in a way, Saw has a similar problem in that they kill off John Kramer in the third one. Um, mm. <laughs> you'd think they would have learned, but they didn't.
0: Yeah. I think I do remember interviewing Lee 1 Alpha. Insidious Chapter 3, and him saying, like, oh, yeah, that was, <laughs> we did really paint ourselves into a corner with that one. It's like, oh no, what do we do? um But yeah, that is the main problem with the Insidious franchise. <laughs> it's like the obvious character that you would carry on, that you'd follow. Yeah, is, skilled, really.
1: yeah. I mean, on the one hand, you have to respect the idea that, like, you're just making this film and you're not going to worry about anything beyond that. Like, that kind of is how you should make films. We shouldn't mm. be in a constant, like, Marvel Cinematic Universe situation where God nothing no. matters yeah. apart from setting up 17 more sequels. That's kind of where we end up in The Conjuring, and uh, that I don't like that either. But yeah, like, don't kill Lin Shay, guys. Come on,
0: yeah. she have got to kill someone, I don't know.
1: Kill Angus Samson, Snacks or Tucker, yeah. yeah.
0: <laughs> both of them, That'd both be fine. of them,
1: ideally, so we don't have to suffer through the last key, yeah.
0: Yeah, he's just like, oh, Josh, like put, like made their van blow up.
1: Yes. <laughs> oh, it's such a shame because I, I did really enjoy them in this movie, um, because because it has so many jump scares, it does need a little bit of yeah. like comic relief, and they're very uh, lowest common denominator. Like they're they're not clever humor, but it's just that little bit of like tension release before you start building back up again, but. I think this is the last time they were good.
0: Yeah, they're okay in the third one, I think. But that's because Lin is with them.
1: They're not in it very much, are they? I seem to remember. Like, do they, don't they? do they meet her in the third one? And then the fourth one is, yeah, just them being terrible. Yeah.
0: Yeah, that's right. Yeah.
1: Because <sighs> all their little gadgets and all the weird, like, little gas mask thing and the, the thing where Lin Shay will have a vision and be rattling off what she can see while Lee Wan-El's character specs is like drawing it, like that's quite fun.
0: Yeah, I like, I really like that. I think because you get to do like Lin Shay does, like terrified whispering while staring at the ceiling. Yes, that's just really creepy because you can't, you like you could make out the odd word that she's saying.
1: Yeah, and it's that same scare of like you can't see it, but she can see it. That's what's scary. It's, I mean, he goes back to that well in The Conjuring in a in a really amazing way. I think like, I, that's my favorite jump scare. Or like, is it a jump scare? It's just a scare in The Conjuring, where Baby Joey King is like saying that there's uh, some something in the in the darkness behind the door. That's so fucking good. Mm. It's so scary. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's it's frustrating because I think there is a very clear progression from Dead Silence to Insidious to The Conjuring, and then like a lot of the sequels throw all of that away
0: yeah agreed i think insidious is definitely a like diminishing returns thing and the same with the conjuring yes. um, and i think generally james one's smart enough to know when to bail although he made, made the second insidious but while making the conjuring so i kind of forgive him for that because i was like was your attention just on the conjuring Yeah,
1: but then don't do it you know
0: yeah yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> but um i recently watched a movie like one of those um uh cheapy monster movies called uh uh I can't have to pronounce this correctly L- lava tarantula uh which is <laughs> which is about lava tarantulas and the first scene has James Wan and Lee Winnell in a cameo
0: <laughs> oh like, really just a little appearance
1: as awesome. like film directors and it just was so delightful <laughs> <laughs> which is just like i'm i'm on board for this stupid film now <laughs>
0: That's awesome. It's interesting how they seem to kick something off with Saw and then they kick something I know, I think insidious and paranormal activity, I mm. think, are like the twin forces behind yeah. all the sort of really average um things we'd see in the next <laughs> like five, six years after this. Like the one I always think of is Dark Skies.
1: Oh fuck me, that's so bad. That's the <laughs> stupidest film. Yeah.
0: Yeah. But it's all the all so many horror films in the next five years after those two movies where, like, we have a house, something's going on. Um, yeah, and a lot of it was, not was just really important.
1: Blumhouse pounding them out on it. <sighs> but I, I, I do still have a lot of affection for Insidious and a lot of affection for Paranormal Activity, so...
0: Oh, yeah, absolutely. I think both of them are great. Yeah, and it's kind of reassuring to, to go back to them and know, like, oh, no, I do still really like these movies.
1: yeah. I think I said the other week that uh, The Ring remake is the scariest film ever made, and that may have been over enthusiastic because I think I would also put Paranormal Activity and The Blair Witch Project in that category.
0: Oh, yeah. <laughs> if we're talking about jump scares, though, I think I, I don't know if I've got an episode planned for it yet, but Drag Me to Hell is oh, God. my memory of that is leaving the cinema and needing a comfort McDonald's immediately. (laughs) The the jump scares in that movie, it's absolutely insane. Oh,
1: maybe we'll do that next. I'm really up for something that's going to make me jump. I think the last time I had a proper, like, fun, adrenaline-y horror movie experience was The Deep House. Oh, yeah. Which I really enjoyed and apparently no one else likes, but...
0: I I like The Deep House.
1: I thought it was good. I enjoyed the idea of... Yeah, just doing a basically haunted house movie, but doing it underwater—like genius.
0: Yeah, great idea. So
1: fun, so <laughs> much fun. Um, yeah, do we have any final thoughts on uh, spooky movies? Apart from James Wan, it's time to reinvent horror again. Come on, <laughs> what you got?
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess like like you said, like we're still seeing essential boogeyman kind of formula, like like like, like lights out and like the boogeyman. Um, but like, is it all just a, a Poltergeist ripoff, or is that like, are we just gonna see these kind of movies in different houses as, <laughs> as we go through different houses, or can we get back to the Dead Silence era of we'll, we've built this ridiculous theatre set,
1: crazy gothic nonsense?
0: That's what I want. I
1: think <laughs> the, house, the house thing is interesting because for sort of a shining moment, it seemed like horror movies were engaging with the kind of uh cultural, socio economic situation. And I always think of the poltergeist remake, uh, when I think about this, which is that like, yeah, people are losing their homes. And and I guess mm. I think the Amateurville horror remake might do some of this as well. But just just that thing of like, it is it's it's just hard now. And like, so yeah, instead of it being it's the house that's haunted, it's it's you because uh for many viewers owning a house just won't be a thing
0: yeah yeah yeah
1: Yeah, we need <laughs> we need some horror movies where people are just renting for a yeah eternity. I mean well we
0: we rent and it's sort of like I think we were saying to my partner when we were watching it, it was we both agreed like well, if you told me it was, it was haunted we'd just move yeah especially now we're in Scotland where we have a the renting laws are much nicer to people renting than <laughs> to landlords nice
1: but yeah I mean I guess like, yeah
0: sort of property ladder like how he's if you buy a house like oh like like i don't think most people would be able to do what the lamberts do where they're just like oh we found another house we'll move
1: honestly ridiculous how do they have the money <laughs> for that like yeah crazy
0: he's a teacher she's not working
1: yeah exactly <laughs> like i have to assume that she has some royalties coming in from music yeah. in the past maybe mm-hmm. <laughs> um, <laughs> i don't yeah, know or barbara
0: hershey's like really rich or something yeah maybe <laughs> maybe
1: maybe, maybe. Or we don't know what happened to Renee's parents, so maybe they died and left us some money. That's true. Yeah. (laughs) But yeah, I do think uh, it would take quite a lot of hauntedness to get me to move house again. I fucking hate it.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I wouldn't enjoy it. I would. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Moving house sucks. Moving
1: house sucks. In conclusion, moving house sucks. Just fucking get an exorcist or something. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Closing thoughts. (laughs) Do you want to wrap us up?
0: Sure, so yeah, in conclusion uh, what we've got written down here is in conclusion all movies are horror <laughs> movies but especially at Halloween. Just a little reminder I guess. <laughs> um, yeah, this was our, our spooky season episode with things that go bump in the night and things lurking in bedroom wardrobes and lipstick face demons hiding behind your partner. <laughs> um, yeah, if you enjoyed this episode please drop us a line on twitter slash x to let us know. We're at Pod. And also our personal accounts are literally just our names, so at Jonathan Hatful and at Sarah Dobbs. You can email us at trillennialhorrors at gmail.com. And we'd also love you extra if you left us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And if there are any 2000s films that you'd like us to cast an older, grumpier eye on, please let us know. Um, Yeah, I don't think we've got the next episode lined up just yet. But uh, yeah, hopefully we'll be back in the next month or so and otherwise have a great Halloween and we'll be back at some point (laughs) bye for now
1: bye